Welcome to The Hub Dialogues, a podcast that celebrates big thinkers and bold ideas about a better future for all of us. I'm Rudyard Griffiths, the executive director of The Hub, Canada's leading source for analysis and insights on public policy. Our goal at The Hub is to escape the opinion bubbles of conventional conversation and prod our popular discourse back to the issues and ideas that can shape our collective future. On The Hub Dialogues, you'll hear Sean Spear, our editor-at-large, in conversation with some of the world's sharpest minds and brightest thinkers about the issues and ideas that they're passionate about and that they think we should spend more time focusing on. The Hub's podcasts are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Granovsky Gluskin Charitable Foundation and the Linda Frum and Howard Sokolowski Charitable Foundation. Enjoy this Hub Dialogue. Welcome to Hub Dialogues. I'm your host, Sean Spear, editor-at-large at at The Hub. I'm honored to be joined today by James Moore, a former conservative cabinet minister and currently a senior business advisor at the law firm Denton's, a public policy advisor at the public relations firm Edelman, and a corporate director. James has been a popular past guest on Hub Dialogues, and I'm grateful to have him join us again as part of our ongoing Future of News series. As a former minister of Canadian heritage, we'll discuss his views on the CBC, the role of government in supporting the news media more generally, and how the Conservative Party may navigate the minefields of these contentious policy questions. James, thanks as always for joining us at Hub Dialogues. Pleasure as always. For those who didn't listen to our past conversation, I want to start the same way that I did then, because I think it's important context. As a member of the Prime Minister's policy staff, I saw you in and around the cabinet table, budget process, and other internal policy deliberations. You were consistently one of the most principled, limited government voices around the table. How then did a fiscal hawk become responsible for the Canadian heritage portfolio and the more than billion dollar per year public broadcaster? And what are some of the things that you learned during your experience? <laughs> Thanks for phrasing it that way. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I guess no good deeds go unpunished. Uh, no, but it, but no, but, but being Minister of Canadian Heritage, I'll put it this way, being Minister of Canadian Heritage in official languages and also the Minister for Sport going into the 2010 Olympics in my hometown was it was, a, it was really a privileged and a phenomenal portfolio and opportunity to have. And we got to do a lot of good things. But, you know, but yeah, I came into it with kind of open eyes because I was the first heritage. Sheila Copps was the first heritage minister. Uh, we, before that, there were ministers of communications. So it was, it was more kind of a, an offshoot of industrial policy as opposed to a real cultural portfolio. And it frankly it was not something that I spent a lot of time thinking about or beavering about in, in my brain about what the policy dynamic was and why it mattered. But then very quickly over time, I came to realize the, the the value and the importance of it. To quote George Will, uh, somebody who you and I both like and uh, and admire uh, for a whole bunch of reasons, he once described the creative economy perfectly. He said he takes because he's still at age of eighty four, eighty five now. He still writes or has written his columns in long form with a Mont Blanc pen and a legal sheet of paper. And he said he takes, and this is how he just defined the creative economy. He said he takes a pen and a piece of paper, two blunt instruments of no particular value. He collides them together and creates a sentence and builds a paragraph and creates a column and develops an argument and pushes it into the world. And people read it and like it or hate it and discuss it. And he sells it and syndicates it and makes money and creates letters to the editor and a whole conversation from two instruments of nothing. You collide them together and you create a whole economy. It's a brilliant way of describing what you do with, when you develop software, when you develop a film, when you create, um, you know, uh, any kind of script for, you know, or a performing arts or a piece of music. It's that's the creative economy. You create value from nothing using your brain and simple instruments 
and and you add to the intellectual and actual GDP of a nation. It's a phenomenal thing. And news does that does that as well. So I, I sort of learned the economic value of it as a way of sort of, sort of motivating it. The, this, where the CBC comes into all this, I mean, I become I was an observer of the CBC and sort of what it was and what it wasn't. And everybody, you know, we have now 40 million Canadians. You'll have 40 million different perspectives on what the CBC is. But, you know, I did a deep dive on on what the CBC is and was as, as I came into office as heritage minister in 2008. So it's been a long time. Um, and, and I think it's, it's valuable for us as we think about the CBC to do a sort of a quick narrative and a, and a sketch of things. Jean Chrétien gets elected with the majority government in 1993. 1995, we have the referendum in, in Quebec on sovereignty, a 51-49 decision. But also in 1995, we have the, you know, the much-storied Paul Martin budget, the re- recalibration of our fiscal finances, cuts in health, health transfers to provinces, all, you know, cutting in government programs and all that. And the CBC got about a $400 million cut, 40, about 40% of its base budget cut. It was the biggest cut to its A-base funding that it had ever ha- had happened before. That happens in the spring of 1995. In the fall of 1995, we, we have the referendum on Quebec sovereignty. Shortly thereafter, Sheila Copps, who didn't like the 40% cut to one of her you know, crowns, uh, then goes back to cabinet and they made a commitment to Quebecers that we will not erode the cultural institution of the CBC. So they created the New Media Fund. New Media was the internet at the time and the television fund to support the creation of content. And, and that would sort of backfill some of the lost content in the CBC. And that kind of stabilized things at CBC basically until Stephen Harper becomes prime minister. Um, and so we become we become government. Stephen Harper becomes prime minister. We didn't really have a policy on CBC. Uh, it, it was just kind of, you know, keep lids on pots. And then the I think a tectonic moment that happened in, in cultural policy for the conservative movement in Canada was the 2008 federal election. Going into that campaign in the summer, I remember St. Jean-Baptiste Day in Quebec City. We had about 4,000 people in Quebec City. We were expecting to have a floor of 20 seats, a ceiling of 35 seats in the province of Quebec. Stephen Harper was probably going to win a majority in 2008. And the bottom fell out in the middle of the campaign over our uh, over our cultural policies and the way we articulated them. And and culture became a hotspot. And, and it's arguable we lost our opportunity to win a majority government in 2008 over arts and culture. So that searing experience led us sort of to be cautious about culture policy, including the CBC. Fast forward to 2011, I'm now the heritage minister, had been for a few years. We win a majority government, promising a steady, stable majority government uh, to focus on the economy. I approached Stephen Harper and I asked him, I said, what do you want to do with the CBC? Because we haven't had a conversation, not only as a party, as a government, but as a country, we haven't had a conversation about the CBC for a generation. So we basically have options. We can cut the CBC at 10%, like everybody else is going to do coming out of the 08 recession and our desire to get back to a balanced budget. We can cut them like everybody else is going to get cut at 10%. We can cut them at 40% like the liberals did in the past. And that's sort of our shield. And we can sort of articulate that. Um, We can do a sweeping broadcast policy review and maybe a Royal Commission or a a blue ribbon panel and have a real thorough discussion. We have some time on our side. Uh, Or we can defund the CBC and be more, more aggressive about it and sort of take advantage of an Overton window and do something dramatic about this. Prime Minister Harper thought about it for a while, and based on our experiences of the 08 campaign, we basically decided to punt. And he said, we'll cut it like 10% like everybody else. We ultimately cut them by 17%, by the way. There's the fiscal conservative in me. Uh, But we cut them by 17% without causing a massive blowback with cultural communities. And we moved forward because it was we were sort of deemed that it was not worth the case. Because if you get into the conversation on the CBC, which we're about to, for the base of the party, it's never enough. 
And for the cultural community, that was a, a serious blowback, particularly the two and a half million French-speaking Canadians outside of the province of Quebec, the province of Quebec itself, La Nation Québécoise, to blow up the physical infrastructure of culture in Quebec and across the country was seen as more of a hassle than it was than it would probably be worth. So let's get them to contribute to fiscal balance, not have a massive revolution on our side like we did in 2008, and effectively let's just punt and give them a haircut. Then the Liberals come in in 2015 and with their majority government, and they have an opportunity now that they have a majority government to do what they want. And in the eight and a half years that they've been in office now, they've had five different heritage ministers, Pablo Rodriguez twice, so four. But so so they've kind of missed their opportunity to do something dramatic. They bumped their budget up to $1.2 billion. Uh, we reformed things as well. We took those two old programs, the Canada Media Fund and the and the Canada Television Fund, combined them together to create the Canada Media, Media Fund on its own. And sort of as a way of supporting the creation of content that was that was not immediately tied to the CBC, and and that was it. So so here we are now. Uh, Pierre Polyev runs for the Conservative leadership, and he says defund the CBC. So again, the, basically for the first time in forty years, there's somebody who's come in and said, "Let's have a big dramatic conversation about the future of public broadcasting." I welcome it. I think it's good. I think it's important. I think it's needed. Um, what Pierre has in mind is not quite yet clear. Defund is, is sort of a blanket term. Um, but this has been a conversation that's been punted for a long time by successive governments. And I think we're, we're due to have the conversation. But anyway, I think it's important to have that converse, that, that background because people need to understand how we've arrived at politically where we are with the CBC and, and why we, we sort of need to have this big moment and this big conversation. That's a brilliant historical context, James, that will situate our conversation and, as you say, enable us to pursue different lines of analysis, including what ultimately defunding the CBC might involve. But before we get there, I, I want to ask you about the CBC from the perspective of first principles. The CBC is a big, complicated organization with various business lines, including its English and French components, the news division and its broader cultural content, and even its national journalism versus its local reporting. We'll try to disaggregate these various parts, but as a matter of first principles, what is the justification for the state to fund a broadcaster in your mind? And how do you evaluate whether that justification remains pertinent for all or parts of such an organization? In other words, James, how do we know if if and when the CBC or its different parts have exhausted their public policy rationale? I think uh, your last question first, I think audience migration. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a bit of a canary in the mind, right? Pierre Polyev ran for the, uh, unlike in the past, right? Where the, the, the leadership where Andrew Shearer was successful, the leadership where Aaron O'Toole was successful. I, I don't think there was anybody in either of those leadership races that was likely to win uh, who actually had it in their platform to defund the CBC. It wasn't in Aaron O'Toole's platform. It wasn't in... Uh, Andrew Shearer's election platform, but it was in Pierre's leadership platform, and it's been obviously a consistent message of his. What's an interesting tell is that he has been very clear and blunt about it. I'm going to defund the CBC, and he's put a price tag on it of about a billion dollars, um, but he's going to defund the CBC. And he's been saying that for well over a year now, and an army of Canadians has not risen up to shout him down. The opposition, uh, the government and the other opposition parties, but the opposition to his his position intellectually, um, uh, ideologically, has not raised a massive army. Pierre Polyev remains ahead in the polls. And not only remains ahead in the polls, but when Canadians are asked, you know, historically, you know, would, you know do you want to change a government? Yes, conservatives. And then when it shows conservatives are up, often people sort of recoil that well, we want change, but we don't quite want that change. No, Pierre has been very consistent and clear in his messaging on this. And there haven't been protests in the streets. You know, um, defend and save the CBC hasn't mounted a massive army of people who have been opposed to it. 
I think people are anxious about it a little bit, but they, but it's on the back burner relative to inflation, relative to the economy, relative to other anxieties that we have. But I think it's been a very interesting um, observation that uh, he has been so forthright and consistent and aggressive in his language about the public broadcaster that um, the opposition hasn't sort of presented itself, which I think is, is important. James, just to interrupt, is that a sort of revealed preference in effect, or is it a sign that Canadians just aren't attributing the same sense of attachment to the public broadcaster that they have in the past? And that, in a sense, effectively demonstrates that it's no longer serving a crucial public policy function? I, I think it's probably both. I think some people think that maybe some people think Pierre's not telling the truth, but I, but I think that's a small group of people. I think most people think Pierre's telling the truth. I also think there's a generational divide. And that before, I mean, you, you had Steve Bacon on, on this on the same stream about the future of news. I remember when I was Minister of Heritage, one of the observations I said to Hubert Lacroix, who was president of the CBC, is I because he would, you know, come with his hair on fire saying, oh, my God, you're cutting us, you know, uh, cutting these money to the CBC. And I said, but you know what? If in Ontario, if the if TV Ontario had a 10 percent cut from the government of Ontario, you would have about equal levels of disappointment from the left and right in Ontario because people have different attachments to TV Ontario. If we cut the CBC 10% federally, the right would say that's not nearly enough. And the left would be apoplectic and saying, what are you doing? You're destroying Canadian, you know, cultural institution. So I said, there's your tell. So I think the contemporary tell is Pierre saying this. I also think, I also think there's a generational divide. I think a lot of young Canadians don't, and, and it's, and this is a, not a left right axis too much, too much of our political analysis, I think is a left right axis. I think a, a lot of young Canadians. Uh, don't have sort of this attachment to the CBC. I grew up watching Hockey Net in Canada. I grew up watching a lot of um, children's programming, but all that is diffused and spread out now, right? Your your original, and, and so therefore there's not a, an, an attachment or a sense that without the CBC, I wouldn't have these things because it's so blown open and it's so diversified now. So, so, so I, I think people are less anxious about what that means. I still think there's a very heavy anchor of nostalgia around the CBC that'll be hard to navigate moving forward. I still think the the French fact in Canada, two and a half million French speaking Canadians outside of the province of Quebec is going to be an important dynamic politically to navigate. Um, and, and also, I think, you know, this is thinking back to Stephen Harper and when, why we effectively chose to punt a, a big conversation about reforming the CBC is that, as we know from you, the analysis that's been done that you guys have talked about on the hub, that, you know, the federal government spends about a billion dollars every five or six days just to service our national debt. So a billion dollars in the CBC proportionate to the rest, you know, it's it's not there's not really a fiscal argument. So to have a massive culture war and real anxiety in the province of Quebec, as Brian Mulroney always reminds, you know, conservatives in particular, but I think the country as a whole, that the first obligation of the prime minister of the country is national unity. And so if you have a culture war with Quebec on arts and culture and their sense of security as a postage stamp on a continent of the French language. Quebec is a postage stamp in a football field, in the middle of a football field of of French culture. And the physical infrastructure that they feel protects their fact is the public broadcaster CBC and public support for it and other things. That there's a reason why conservatives have, and even Pierre does say, we're going to defund the CBC, but not in Quebec. We're going to defund the CBC, but not the French part. Uh, is because we reckon. So, if you your your original question was what is what was the original argument for the CBC as we currently recognize it for Quebec, it was at the time of its founding that for the whole country in the face of the wave of the large uh, uh, broadcasters that were emerging in the United States pouring American content into the Canadian airspace uh, and sort of this need to have sort of a defensive posture when it came to Canadian culture on the English side relative to the Americans. 
it's now it's still seen to be the case for the French language in Quebec, but not so much in English. So there's this divide. So um, you know, so they're long answer to your question. I asked that question, James, because it seems to me that the main case for revisiting the CBC's mandate involves this basic first principles question about the role of government and the role of markets. If markets are functioning properly and meeting people's needs, then presumably the state should intervene. It strikes me as is almost a technocratic issue as much as is an ideological one. Yet, as you alluded earlier, a lot of conservatives are motivated as much by a sense that the CBC's journalism is biased. What would you say to that argument? And if you agree, how much of it should influence the thinking about the CBC's future? I think it's important actually to deconstruct the word news because the CBC does it internally. And I think we need to think about that as well. I think people are, you know, I think that there is a there's a bias in the sense of statist solutions to things that the CBC. Um, you, you can see it on the cover. You, you know it when you see it. Like it's it, and there's, you know, maybe as a conservative, we have a you know pity party about about things in, in the media and all that. But there's all kinds of analysis about about biases that are inherent in news in general, and maybe in public broadcasters in general, um, that I I think is increasingly evident. And it's and it's believed. It kind of, you know you can it's it's one of those things you can you can try to deconstruct it. And the CBC has done this in the past where they present present the government with large reports about objectivity and news and all that. But people don't believe it. You can't convince people that they're not seeing what, in fact, they know that they're seeing. You can't shake people away from that. And you and you, you can't lie people into believing something that isn't true. So if it's not true, you can't just say the CBC is biased without evidence and people will believe it. So people know what they see and they they feel it. And as I used to say to you about Lacroix, I was the president of the CBC, like, you know, the, the CBC has in its mandate, you're supposed to reflect people back to them and people are voicing concerns. And it's very clear on the funding question. As I said, if you cut them 10 percent, the right says not enough. The left says that's way too much. There's your there's your you know market market opportunity and uh, market exposure about what people think about things. But back to news though, and the point of this series that you're doing, like what is news? Well, there's news reporting on Parliament Hill, but I mean, take it deeper than that. Like what has survived? If we're going to look at a modernization of of news. Um, and, and sort of the deconstructing of a public broadcaster. Well, it, it used to be true that you needed a public broadcaster to um, to sort of share across the country news about sports, for example. I think the private sector is doing just fine on sports. I don't think you need a public broadcaster on sports. There's never been more coverage, more depth, more analysis. You know, I, I, I follow multiple podcasts and, and YouTube uh, broadcasters on the Canucks and on NHL and on football. And I, I am choking on all of the content that's out there on sports from, you know, bro talk with spit and chicklets to, you know, objective analysis of former executives of the NHL, all different flavors. of Sports is good. It's covered. We're good. On, on business news, the CBC got out of business. There are no business programs. They've decided internally that business is not a sort of a core necessity. They have business reporters. But they don't have any specific business programming. Well, we do have BNN. We have other avenues. We have market analysis. We have you know, we have that there are retail investors and people who curtail, you know, content for them and, and curate content for them. We have institutional investors. You have people have, you know, who, who are who are doing all kinds of market analysis and business analysis. But there's tons of that out there. You don't really need a public broadcaster for that. You don't really need a public broadcaster for weather. I mean, weather is also provided by the government of Canada, but it's also provided on your phone. So you don't need that. So you start kicking out the pillars of why you originally needed a public broadcaster. And it starts to get pretty skinny pretty fast. Right. Um, you know, uh, English language drama. I mean, if, if you want to have a show that's set in Thunder Bay or you want to have a, sh a show that's set in Romuski, Quebec, or you, okay, so you can have maybe some, you know, Canadian cultural dynamics or historical references in the dialogue. Okay, but we fund that through the candidate. Do you need the public broadcast physical infrastructure? So, and anyway, you get my point is that you actually start trimming of what 
CBC originally was and what we were trying to guard Canada against versus where we are now. And it's a dramatically reformed CBC, and they admit this internally. And that's just on the content side. And then you talk about shrinking the physical infrastructure as screens get smaller, as Scott Galloway talks about often on his on his podcast, that you know, the bigger the screen, the more economically uh, ir- irrelevant and obtuse it is. The smaller the screen, the more relevant it is. And we all know this, which is why the Canada Media Fund exists, where the public broadcast, where all broadcasters are going, that the smaller your screen, the one that's in your hand, the more that content needs to be poured into that. And we're we're stuck with a public broadcaster whose emphasis is still old school television, old school radio, and they're migrating to digital. But as they migrate to digital, are they are they an obstacle to the kind of transformation that's happening out there in the private sector? Originally, I would have said yes, but today I would say no. They're an obstacle maybe to because they're sucking up some advertising revenue that would be available to private broadcasters. Probably true, but that argument kind of doesn't matter anymore as we go to smaller screens, algorithms, and micro-targeting advertising. So uh, anyway, my point is there's a massive transformation happening in terms of content and the virtue of a public broadcaster that has been, I think, blown up over time. Young people recognize it and know it, particularly in English Canada and all that. On the other hand, politically, you want to be able to pick your battles. And this is one of the cautions I have for conservatives to say, you know, if you're lucky in politics, you get to pick your battles, you get to pick your enemies. We didn't pick an enemy in the in, in the arts and culture community, and it cost us a majority government in 2008. The Prime Minister of Canada always has an obligation for national unity. If you're going to pick a fight with that, that threatens the French fact in North America, which is how it'll be perceived by many in Quebec and the two and a half million French-speaking Canadians outside of Quebec, you better be very careful and you better pick your not only your enemies, but you better pick your allies and people who support your planning and build that up. It's fine for Pierre to go out there and say, defund the CBC. It's a conversation, as I've been saying here, that's been uh, punted for too long. We should have the conversation. But, you know, but be prepared for what you're going to do after that. Like, what would a new uh, an alternative CBC look like for those who are tethered to the nostalgia, for those who are anxious about their, the, the CBC's footprint in Indigenous languages and Indigenous communities, what it means for the French fact in North America and the cultural infrastructure around it. Um, you, you, you need to think about these things and you, you be better to use, I think, a stiletto than a samurai sword. Sign up for The Hub's free weekly newsletter and receive our best analysis and insights on the big issues and ideas transforming our world. Each Saturday morning, we will send you a compilation of our most interesting and thought-provoking analysis and commentary, along with original news reporting on the people and events driving the public conversation. You can grab the Hub's complimentary weekly newsletter right now by becoming a free Hub member. Do that at www.thehub.ca. Again, www.thehub.ca. Grab your free email newsletter and membership. Act now. Just tremendous insight, James. Let's park the CBC for a moment and we'll come back to it later. Since the two of us left the government, there have been growing demands for Ottawa to not only provide funding to public broadcasters, but also to private news media organizations as well. What do you think of these developments? Does the Trudeau government's funding regime for private news outlets represent a sensible policy to help them go through a market transition? Or is it a counterproductive intervention in the market economy in your mind? I'm not in favor of them in broad scope. But 
it's, um, you know, here's the ultimate political answer. It depends on how it's done and whether or not it can make sense. But it seems to me that a lot of these are uh, transitional measures as people figure out, this is, you know, the most obvious observation, you know, transitional measures to try to triage the transition from old media. You know, like if you look at the Department of Canadian Heritage and the funds that have existed over the years, the magazine fund, Canadian Radio Television Commission, the television fund, the new media fund, so many of them are are tethered to the the medium by which information is being transmitted. And that's so archaic for self-evident reasons, but it, it's caused government think to be arrested into sectors. And I mean, I remember being a minister talking about this, like the magazine, the magazine, um, you, you know, community and the newspaper folks and all. But of course, that's not what matters anymore. What matters is the creation of content and it'll find it as audiences decide what size screen is proportionate to their hand is proportionate to their their capability to sort of absorb information and entertainment and take that in content has to find its way onto the physical medium and so too much of our government policy is arrested into in the techno technological platforms as opposed to the content side and it's of course happening in the private sector as you have major capital investment into whether it's printing presses or vans and cameras and studios and and talent um, that is, you know, an anchors of dead weight onto institutions that have a very hard time pivoting as they move forward. Um, and so that's, that's a real problem. So, you know, government measures, I think, are about, uh, it, it would be a jarring thing. We had this, you know, in the 08 recession, we put a bunch of money on a temporary basis because we didn't know if the 08 recession was going to be a global depression that would be, uh, you know, have a stagnating effect in the economy for five to 10 years. I mean, we all remember you know, the anxiety that would, that existed at the time around the 08, the great global recession. And so we thought it would be jarring to Canadians if they woke up one day and McLean's magazine just disappeared and Reader's Digest just disappeared. Well, here we are now, all these years later, and they've effectively disappeared. And, and so it's not jarring anymore. It was jarring in 2008, which is why we put some some money on the table to keep them, because we, we thought Canadians would think that Canada doesn't exist anymore if when you're going to the grocery checkout line that you no longer had the Globe, the Globe and Mail, or you no longer had your newspapers, you no longer had these iconic Canadian media brands that they just disappeared. And the Calgary Stampede isn't happening this year. It's been canceled and the PNE isn't happening. It's been like, and so you have all these cultural institutions to, uh, falling apart, then the country must be really falling apart. And therefore the government must not be doing its job. Therefore we got to get rid of Stephen Harper. So the domino effect of cultural institutions disappearing was it's a political was a political anxiety, but it was also an economic one because people, if you have an actual recession, turn into an intellectual recession and an emotional recession, and people think the country is broken and they start seeing cultural institutions disappearing all around them. That's a harder thing to jar yourself out of as opposed to the next, you know, the next report from the Bank of Canada on where our GDP jobs and 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 uh, and and um, CPI numbers are. So you, the, these things need to be sort of triaged, and I think we had our version of 08. The Liberals have had theirs as there's been this destruction of old media infrastructure in the private sector. So I think the current funds and the and the regulations that they put forward are a bit ham-fisted. I think there's a ton of unintended consequences that have caused more problems than benefits. And I think they're all about transitioning from what was to what will be. What will be, we don't know, but what will be uh, will be demanded and forced by people's behavior, not big, by government policy. It will the government policy about these things again, guys. Quote George Will: Government policies about these things is like cobwebs trying to lasso a locomotive. It isn't going <laughs> to work. It's not going to work. The the, the 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 public will demand uh, news. They will demand objective news, and they will get it from a source. And it doesn't have to have the signature of the government on it for it to be validated, credible, 
trusted and 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 worthy of people's attention. Your political commentary, though, James, has been illuminating and refreshing, and it's a good segue, incidentally, to my next question. Is a government, any government, going to be prepared to preside over a marked decline of the news media industry? Would any prime minister, for instance, stand idle and watch Post Media and its network of local papers collapse? How much of what going on in this sense basically amounts to a, a sort of blackmail over the federal government, keep the subsidies going or deal with the political fallout? Um, I think the public is ahead of where the politicians are. Um, and, and, I, and I think the collapse is a fact. I mean, I, 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 the last time I bought a newspaper, I was leaving. Uh, I went, went into my office on a, on a weekend and I bought a great big thick weekend New York Times and I you know, like old school when I was a student and I read it, but I don't buy newspaper. I, I don't for example, I, like I don't, I don't watch news from you know six to seven o'clock at night or ten to eleven in a block and sort of absorb it that way with all the ads, the inefficiencies, and stories that I don't care about. I curate my news. I think the public is way ahead of that. There, there is a, there's always a, an anxiety for governments that just not on my watch. We know it's collapsing. We know it's going broken. We know they're trying to figure it out. It's just not on my watch because I don't want to have to wear it. I, I think the public is much more forgiving because they see the creative destruction around them. You see the 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 magazine stands shrinking everywhere you see the you know chapters going from 95% books and 5% tchotchkes to 50% tchotchkes and 50% books and 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 the and the ratio is getting getting worse every time i go in there it's just a reality of things people see change happening around them and i and i i don't, I don't think they're bothered by it i think they welcome it because their behavior is self evident um but on the nostalgia side for cbc and children's programming and hockey night in Canada and certain things that are really important to Canadians and cultural things. I think those things matter. Those things can be brought along if, if CBC becomes more of a cultural institution as opposed to a news organization. They've already cannibalized their news content. As I said, sports can survive. Business can survive. They've already gotten rid of it on, on their own. Um, you know, regional stuff matters. I, I'm anxious about, you know, a pan-Canadian conversation. If there's a if there's a a shooting in Nova Scotia and there's details about the mass shooting commission, I think the people in Prince George should know about that and be and not only understand what happened, but how it's impacting the people of Nova Scotia. I don't think you're going to get that kind of coverage in the Prince George Citizen or the local Prince George PG television. They're not they don't have the capacity, the reach, or the expertise. So I think that bringing together of Canadians is an important function of a public broadcaster where where it doesn't exist uh, in with any kind of private sector um, economic model. There's value in that, but I I don't think that Canadians are generally anxious. I mean, people. I remember when when Hockey Night in Canada, the brand and the theme was taken away from CBC, and people said, "Oh my God, it's great iconic." I mean, come on. I mean, hockey has never been more popular in Canada. We've never been more enthusiastic about the sport. We're hosting the All Star Game, we've got the best goal scorer in the league, the best team in in Canada and Vancouver, of course. We get the best goal scorer in Austin Matthew. Like they, the sports doing just fine, and the content side is just fine. And the business of talking about sports and covering sports has never been better. The salary cap is going up for the players. They're selling more jerseys. The arenas are full. Hockey didn't suffer because the public broadcaster wasn't the pillar distributor of that content. Um, so I, I, I think there are parallels to that with news elsewhere. And also, I think Canadians want objective. Canadians like news that and and news content sometimes and editorial content that reinforces their biases, that reinforces their perspective on things, that that have people with an outward voice that is as articulate as their internal voice. 
and in expressing their values about things and their and those editorial opinions. And sometimes you like to see news that kind of emphasizes the stuff that you like and and downplays the stuff that you don't like. There's a market for that, and there's economics around that, and that will accelerate and that will grow. But also, Canadians also there's a massive market, and I think an even bigger market of Canadians. I just want to know what happened. What happened in the stock market? Just what happened? And um, there's a market for that that will always be there that will present itself. The economics of it and the economic modeling behind it won't be what it was. It will present itself as new. Um, and But I think it's there. It's present. And I think the 40 million Canadians want to know what's happening, not, not just with an ideological or an intellectual bent to it, but just as a substantive factual presentation of what's new. Um, you know, Save Local News, that was a campaign that, that was created in 2009. 2024, something has happened in those intervening 15 years where Save Local News, uh, you know, has contracted and local newspapers went away. But we we still seem to have a civic culture. We still seem to know what happens if there's a car crash or there's a fire at a school or if a or if a police chief gets replaced. Like we there's the ecosystem and the evolution of people sharing news content and understanding what's happening down the street is still going on uh, in spite of uh, the, these radical transformations that are going on. Let's come back to the CBC now. You said that you thought it was healthy that Pierre Polyev's commitment to defund the CBC represents a catalyst for the kind of conversation um, that you think needs to happen. In light of your experience, what's your advice to Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives? How should they think about the goal of defunding the CBC? What's the right approach in your mind? I, I don't think they should let 2024 go to waste. It's likely we won't have a campaign until 2025. I think they would be wise if this is going to be a pillar. This is obviously one of the pillar promises that he has to the base of the party and a massive expectation of the public. I think they should use 2024 to think, where do they want to end up? Uh, you'll get, you know, 2025, you'll get elected. Whatever the new reality is, we'll cast forward to 2026 and start really having conversations with people about what they think the CBC should look like after all this. You know, he has said defund, but he's also said that the French component will still exist in Quebec. CBC spends about 1.9 billion a year. 1.2 billion comes from the government of Canada. If you're going to keep the French component, you know the billion dollar cut promise is going to be very hard to keep, uh, if not impossible. Uh, so, so you have to sort of rationalize expectations on that front and what it's what it's going to look like going forward. But, um, but, but I think they would be wise to spend 2024 in thinking about what the final product is going to look like, who their allies are going to be, and their third party validators are going to be for that new vision of what it's going to look like get them to be start talking about that so that they can hit the ground running because their window of opportunity to do this is going to be very narrow should they win and get even get a majority government to move forward on this and do so really aggressively probably within the context of their first budget and they really need to get this done and get this done well i i've said to people you know it's um not to be too harsh about it Pierre Polyev is one of the great political communicators that i've that i've seen uh, he is phenomenal in both official languages connecting with the audience that he's seeking to connect with. He's really, he's right up there with peak Barack Obama, Pete Buttigieg and, and others. He's a phenomenal political communicator. But you know, Ryan Reynolds is pretty good too. Seth Rogen is pretty good too. Uh, Michael J. Fox, um, not to put again, too sharp of a point on it, but Michael J. Fox coming out and um, trembling and holding a microphone saying, I got my start at the CBC, don't take this away. That's a pretty tough political argument to push against. Um, and all of that, I expect, will happen. And that's not even beginning the conversation within the province of Quebec. Um, so it, it's easy to say defund the CBC. It's easy to say, you know, we have we have to get back to a balanced budget and everybody has to do their part and the CBC has to do it as well. 
But as, and I'm a cautious person because of my experience, as I said in the beginning from 2008, be careful about the enemies that you pick and think through how it is that you're going to defeat them and, and move forward on these things. It, it matters a lot. So my advice to Pierre and the, my, my, my conservative family is don't let 2024 go to waste. Think about what your final product looks like and make sure you assemble the people and the third-party validators who will defend your vision of what the new reality is. Here's a follow-up question for you, James. You articulated earlier a process of judging the CBC against a broader market trends across its uh, different business lines. You know, so so for instance, it, it's no there's no longer a case for a public broadcaster in sports. There's no longer a case for a public broadcaster in business, and and so on and so forth. If you were king for a day, having gone through that process, what might a steady state public broadcaster look like? What component parts would be left rooted in its original mandate of filling this market gap? I think you would shift it more towards a cultural institution as opposed to a news organization. I think the diversity that we see regionally in news and Bev Oda, who is former heritage minister as well, she once said about broadcasting, she says, you have to, she said one thing that's important, she's a former CRTC commissioner. She said, broadcasting is dying. Narrow casting is thriving. So you think about the hub and the, and the, and the, in the portfolio that you have here. It's very, it's it's public policy, it's focused. It comes from a free enterprise center right bent, but it's open to different perspectives, but it, it's very focused, right? Um, these things are thriving and doing extraordinarily well. If there's a way in which you get these sort of thriving silos and you can lasso them together, uh, people are already doing that privately. So a public broadcaster, I think one that's focused more on culture uh, as, as a cultural institution, as opposed to a news organization, it would, would be worthwhile. But I think it's going to be a shift and a transition that's going to take time. Drawing Canadians together as part of a national discussion is important. So, it, so I would, you know, it's it's hard. I mean, because my my vision would be different than yours would be, than it would be the other thirty nine million other Canadians who would have theirs. Um, but but I think that the general trend and the I think the emphasis should be towards more of a cultural institution as opposed to a news organization. Um, because I think that's that's where the vulnerable, vulnerabilities exist in Canadian society of us not knowing and being empathetic with one another as citizens and as human beings. News will be there. News will news will aggregate. News will snowball over time. It'll come from different places with different um, business models. But I think that will thrive because people we have a Darwinian instinct to need to know when is the next flood coming? When is the next drought coming? What what was the what were the gunshots in the distance? Why was the ambulance driving down the hill? What's happening with this pandemic? When are the vaccines coming? I people need to know in a Darwinian way what is happening around me with the economy and my kids and my future and my health. News will always have an audience because of that human instinct to know what's happening and to avoid risk. Cultural culture is a little different. For that, there's market failure, and for that. And to build those bonds between citizens to keep the country united, the cultural part is more sensitive to to the failures of of, of market and and has, has more meaning. Let me put an ultimate question to you, wrapping up on the the subject of the future of news in a world in which the CBC is less dominant. What do you think the consequences might be for the news media industry as a whole? Short term, tough because the CBC has become a pillar of distribution and uh, quality in terms of the production quality, people can, people can debate, you know, the, the content quality. Um, I, I think it'll, it'll be difficult in the near term, but I, I think over, over the long term, it'll be, uh, it'll be satiated by the public's demand and appetite for quantitative news. But, you know, last thing I'll say about the CBC, and, 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 it, and it is the question, I think, for, for the people who, who are kind of sort of stuck about this, Hubert Lacroix, who was the president of the CBC when, when we were in government, 
we were cutting the CBC uh, at, coming out of the 08, 09 recession. He sat me down and he said, he said, minister, and I think it's important for all Canadians to think about. He goes, he goes, minister, I don't know what you want for us, for me to do as president of the CBC. You give me more than a billion bucks a year, a billion dollars, and you you guys quietly cheer for me to fail. And I don't know what success looks like for the CBC. If we grow our, our if we grow our audience and our market share, you, you guys will say you're you're taking away your your taxpayers subsidizing, you're hurting the private sector and the private sector broadcasters. So that's not success. So we can't brag about our growth and our our audience share because that means the privates are getting crushed. And if we shrink and our audience share shrinks, then you just say it's a waste of money because nobody's watching them or listening to them. You give me a billion dollars a year and you guys privately cheer for me to fail. How am I supposed to succeed in this dynamic? And he was exactly right. We've, we we didn't know what success looked like. We punted the ball and we avoided the conversation because of the 08 election experience. And Pierre Polyev has now come around and, and wanting to shatter that conversation and the, the frozen conversation and to break it open. And I think we punted in 2008. The Liberals punted when they had a majority in 2015 and they had an opportunity to do so. And I think the, the mood is set because if you look at the transition that people are doing in their personal lives and the way in which they're consuming news. And then there's a generational shift, not a left-right shift. It's a generational shift in terms of how people are consuming their content. I think there's a window of opportunity. And I think Pierre saying that he wants to defund the CBC is another way of saying, let's smash the status quo and have a big conversation about how we modernize things. But they shouldn't let 2024 go to waste. They should think about where they want to land and build build their validators and third-party supporters so that they can hit the ground running should they form government in 25. Final question. Are you ultimately optimistic or pessimistic about the future of news in Canada? Optimistic. Because um, people are, because content has been never been cheaper to produce and more democratized than ever before. You can get news anytime, anywhere. People like you, others in Canada, all kinds of examples of people who have sprung up and high quality content at relatively low cost with super cheap distribution methods and getting stuff out there like never before. I think uh, quality rises to the top. A lot there will be a lot of creative destruction. Uh, a lot of podcasts will come and go. A lot of content will come and go. I think people are open-minded about new venues. It doesn't have to be the Star, the Globe, the CBC, CTV. I think people are open to differing voices and personalities and delivery mechanisms and different emphasis and uh, different styles of delivery. So you can sort of have you know an, an aggressive style approach to politics, a more cerebral style of listening to political news something that's more balanced in terms of left-right axis and perspectives, something that's maybe more you know, singularly your perspective. I think the, the field is going to be diverse and open and wide of voices of all kinds of different perspectives. And I think all of that is positive. The transition will be tough and people will be anxious. People don't like change in a lot of ways because they they like and are comforted by the old the old order. But I think the new order looks pretty damn good. Um, if 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 the government keeps its eye on the number one obligation of all governments, which is national unity, and makes sure that Canadians are brought forward in a way that gives them a sense that there's um, th there's uh, there's a better future if we uh, if we embrace it and 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 tell Canadian stories to each other, I think better uh, than we have in the past. That's a powerful message, and this conversation has been chock full of brilliant insights. The Honorable James Moore, thank you so much for joining us at Hub Dialogues. Pleasure is mine. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Hub Dialogues, brought to you by The Hub, Canada's leading source for analysis and insights on public policy. 
We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Please share your favorite Hub podcast with friends and family and subscribe wherever you get your audio online. We also appreciate your ratings and reviews. Go to our website, www.thehub.ca. I'm the Hub's Executive Director, Rudyard Griffiths. The host of today's program was Sean Spear, the Hub's Editor-at-Large. This episode was produced by Amal Atar-Guzman. The Hub's audio producers are Alex Glutch and David Matta. The Hub podcasts are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Granovsky Gluskin Charitable Foundation and the Linda Frum and Howard Sokolowski Charitable Foundation. Thanks for listening.